Well, good morning. morning. And welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad you're here. My name is Matt, and I enjoy an honor being the campus pastor here. As David said, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. This is your first, second time. I just want to say a welcome to you. A quick moment of confession and honesty. How many of you have brought a treat to an event and claimed it was your own, yet Price Chopper was the real chef? All right, a couple honest people in the room. Uh, I tell anybody that if uh, there's a group gathering and we're bringing food and I am the sole person in my house responsible for bringing food that day, you don't want me to bring it. You want me to buy chips and salsa at the store um, because you won't enjoy what I have to make. And so uh, my wife is phenomenal at that. But uh, <clears throat> in light of our conversations that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, we're looking at what does it look like to be real and authentic in our faith? Uh, what does it look like to allow the words and ways and wisdom uh, given in God's word and through his spirit to impact and influence every area of our life, that our life would be uh, guided by our faith, not that our faith would be an add-on to the life we are already living. And so if you've missed any of these, we'd encourage you to hop online uh, and check them out through our podcast or through the website. You can, you can listen to any of them from any of our uh, campuses. And this week, what we're doing is we're jumping into uh, the next section in James where he begins to unpack this idea of wisdom. Uh, and he's going to contrast both the wisdom of the world and worldly wisdom uh, versus the wisdom of God and how uh, they stand in such contrast to each other, though they can sometimes appear to be the same thing. One of the things that we need to draw some distinctions about as we get into this conversation is that there is a large difference between knowledge, information, and wisdom. They are not synonymous, that it is one thing to have a great deal of knowledge about something and to gather information on something. It is much different to walk in wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to accurately and appropriately apply said knowledge to life to improve it. Right? Now, those are big gaps. Uh, and sometimes we think we're really wise when really we just have a bunch of information. You don't have to look any further uh, than the internet to make that true. There's this trend of expectation versus reality where people look at these crazy uh, baking trends and, and read the recipes and they read it and go, okay, I think I can do this. And I want you to see what that execution can look like sometimes. So here's one of them for you. Um, <laughs> I got owned in the first service because I said, this is just a free cupcake and then it looks like the top half of a piece of a candy corn and somebody yelled, no, it's a marshmallow, uh, proving that I never read the instructions on how to make this one. Um, but maybe you've tried to make something that looked like that. Then there's uh, this other one here, which probably looks closer to what <laughs> I would do, right? Like, I'm sure they had a great recipe. I'm sure they watched the YouTube tutorial of somebody in their cute kitchen who makes it perfectly, and theirs did not turn out like that. And here, here's another one. I included this one because it's a little grainy, and I apologize, but I just thought immediately that global warming has infected, uh, affected even the Little Mermaid, uh, apparently, here, right? So that, those are fun and games. And, and the reality is, as we look at our life, there can be this gap. We have all the information. We have more books than we've ever had. We have more resources on good marriages and good finances, good relationships, good boundaries. We have more information than ever, and yet our divorce rate is skyrocketing. Our relational brokenness is through the roof, and we're the most in debt we've ever been. So information and access to it is not the problem. You have instant access to any piece of information you could possibly want. You can Google and find out anything. The problem is our readily, readily available access to this information has given many of us a false self-promotion in our wisdom. 
We believe that because we know a few things, we read a few articles, therefore we have wisdom and we are drowning in information, but we are starving for wisdom. Right? Like I could read all the books, watch all the YouTube videos, talk to all of the doctors. I could understand conceptually how to perform open heart surgery. You do not want a scalpel in my hand while you're laying on a, on a board ready for me to cut open your chest, right? I need the wisdom to accurately and appropriately apply that knowledge to save your life, which is the very thing that wisdom ought to do. That we know things and we apply things to improve the life of ourselves and those around us. And wisdom is demanded everywhere. I threw a laundry list of things uh, together that require wisdom from us, friendships, parents, siblings, teachers, coaches, dating, parenting, confronting, bad habits, Bible study, dealing with our exes, dealing with in-laws, workplace, finances, church, government, health, and on and on and on the list goes. Now, I can have a ton of information and I can read a ton of books about friendships, but if I don't know how to apply that information, my relationships and friendships will never be what God designed them to be. And that is revealed most clearly and most often within our relationships. Now, sometimes it's for different people, it's revealed in different sections, but primarily when rubber meets the road and life demands for us to put the scalpel down and begin to move, it is revealed whether what we're walking in is worldly wisdom or godly wisdom by how we begin to act. So as we jump into this conversation, I want you to have a moment to consider uh, the thought of where are you turning for wisdom, guidance, and direction? As you consider your life, uh, what are your sources when you feel up against the wall and you don't know where to turn? Who are you going to for advice? What are you going to for advice uh, as you consider that? The book of James, what it's going to do for us is help us evaluate and understand who and where we're going for advice, what type of advice we're giving, uh, and that we would be able to, with discernment, decide if was that piece of advice that I gave of God or of the world? Was that piece of advice I received of God or of the world? And how do we know the difference? Well, that's the question James is going to uh, answer for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and jump uh, with me to James chapter 3. Now, we'll be there uh, primarily just working through a few verses, verse by verse. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to put one in your hands for free back out at the Welcome Center. Uh, if not, it'll be on the screen here behind me, or you could use the Version app on your phone. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. He says, okay, let's have a conversation about who thinks they're really wise and understanding. And we would probably more accurately use the phrase, uh, let's see who's the smart person in the room. Like, let's have a conversation about who's really smart. And he goes on to give you a first piece of evaluation for it. He says, let them show how wise and understanding, how smart they are, by what? By their good life. So he jumps off of the same conversation we talked about last week, that if you wanted to evaluate whether you were saved or you were in the faith, it wasn't a question of knowledge or information about God and faith. It was whether that faith had impacted and influenced the way you lived your life, that your actions reflected that you had surrendered to Jesus. And he says, it is the same thing with wisdom. That if we claim to be really, really smart and know a lot of things and our life is a train wreck, you have to ask the question, are you actually walking in wisdom or do you have a bunch of knowledge that is not influencing the decisions you're making? So if somebody's wise, their life will reflect the fact that they know how to 
execute those decisions. Wisdom is not seen in what you know, but in what you do. It's kind of our overarching uh, idea for us this morning that how wise we are is revealed in the life we live, not necessarily only in the words we speak. As you think about worldly wisdom and you think about the individual that uh, is going to be contrasted throughout this passage, a word scripture would use for them is a fool. Now, nobody that I know would readily and willingly admit to themselves being a fool. What James is going to say is that their life would reveal that. And as you consider some of the characteristics of somebody walking in worldly wisdom and, and walking in really the negative aspect of what James is going to unpack in this passage is it's often um, the individual who's willing to insert themselves into every conversation. The one person that you know, and I won't point fingers, but maybe you know who they are, maybe they're in your, your family or in your workplace, like they are an expert on everything. And you start to ask the question, how did you get the super genius knowledge ability to be smart in everything? Because I don't understand how you seem to have an answer for everything. It's the individual who is always inserting themselves because nobody's asking them. They might even say to themselves, well, I'm not sure why they didn't ask my opinion because I have a great solution to this problem. There's a reason you're not being asked and that individual is not being asked. It's because the lifestyle you are living is not reflecting the knowledge you claim to possess. That individual will often walk in self-promotion, will not be humble with the knowledge that they have or perceived knowledge that they have. And that's actually what he says next in the second half of verse 13. It says, by deeds, so their good life, and then their good life is done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, this can feel like an oxymoron in our day and age because if you consider really, really smart people, it feels rare to find a really, really humble smart person to find somebody who has a wealth of knowledge and understanding and has the ability to speak in and give insight and counsel into really difficult situations, yet is gentle and careful with it. And in fact, another way to, to um, translate this word humility here would be the word meekness. Now, in our culture, when we hear the word meekness, we just flip that M upside down and it becomes weakness. But meekness is defined as strength under control, right? As you consider, uh, to help us put a visual on this, you pick a fight with the offensive linebacker, offensive linebacker on the Philadelphia Eagles, okay? He's going to crush you. He has the ability, he's 300-some pounds, pure muscle, he will destroy you. And he chooses not to. What is that? It's meekness. It is not passivity. It is not weakness. It is, I have the strength, yet I have know how to harness it, not to harm you, but to help you. And James is saying that is true with knowledge. That if we know things, we have the ability sometimes, left to our flesh, to leverage it to hurt people. And James is saying, that's not wisdom. At least not the wisdom you want. The wisdom you want knows how to appropriately apply that knowledge to help other people grow. And so uh, the inverse of what you should be seeing here is that if my words are weapons, I'm not speaking wisdom. That if my knowledge and the information I have is used against people to put them down, to make them see how smart I am, to make them see my viewpoint, I'm not walking in wisdom. And can I step on our toes a little bit? If your social media is being used as a weapon, you are not walking in wisdom. 
if we leverage correctness, if we leverage rightness, listen, you might even be right in what you are writing about your post, but if it's done in a tone to weaponize truth, especially God's truth, against other people, it is not wisdom. Scriptures will call it foolishness. I heard somebody say in between services, you can be so right you're wrong. You don't have to look any further than Jesus to see this demonstrated in a positive way. Listen, Jesus is infinitely smart. (laughs) There's no end to his knowledge. He is all-knowing. Yet you never see him destroy someone with wisdom. Now, you see him speak truth. You see him speak appropriately. You see him speak even confrontationally with his truth. But it's never weaponized. In fact, when Jesus speaks, we're going to talk about this a lot at the end. When Jesus speaks, it's so that we would be, not that he would be right, though he always is right. It's so that he would make us right with God which is the call for us. I'm going to talk to Christians in the room for a minute. We have the ability to use the good news of Jesus as a weapon against people. Right? The good news of Jesus is that we are sinners broken in sin, in need of a Savior. Glory to God, we have one and it is free. Now, you can weaponize that to make people feel real bad about themselves. To make people feel condemned, feel less than. And that would be a weaponization of that truth. And I know we feel so often like we are a crusader of truth in a world of lies, and that might be true, but there is a way in which the, the followers of Jesus are called to do that. And it is not with weaponizing God's words against his lost sheep. He continues on to talk about what that looks like. Verse 14, he says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast about it or deny the truth. He says so often when somebody is mishandling wisdom, it comes out of result of bitter envy and selfish ambition, right? Like it's the progressive one-upper. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're sitting around a a casual dinner conversations with friend and somebody says, oh, this, this piece of information. And they go, well, I heard do, 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 do. And like they, they always have to have the last word. What is it? It is a competition of envy that I would appear to be the most intelligent person in the room that I'm the answer man. What is it? That's a result of bitter envy of needing to self-promote. The other piece of this is selfish ambition, that I would leverage knowledge and information to put people down to, to gain for myself. Since when we misuse knowledge, it is almost always for selfish gain. Those are strong words. But he says... It's bad enough if you do that. It's even worse if you're boasting about it. It says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Paul lived in a day that was not uh, very much unlike ours. There was lots of self-promotion and and so-called experts. And he's saying, listen, the real wise person probably has the answer. They know a solution, but they wait to be asked. Or when they do offer it, it's offered with grace and humility and kindness, not condemnation. He says, stop boasting and self-promoting and saying, I have the answers. And listen, we probably don't go online saying, I have the answers, or go to our friend circle saying, I have the answers. It's in our hearts. It's in that quiet thing in the back of my, in your mind when the, you hear the person talking and you think, man, they're so wrong. <laughs> I'm so right. <laughs> Now, occasionally that slips out, but it's in our hearts. 
One of the distinctions that you will see perhaps in this, an individual's life who's not walking in godly wisdom and perhaps even our own life is that they're out to make a point rather than a difference. That they're using information to make a point to declare their position rather than to use that information to make a difference in somebody's life. Do you feel the difference there? That I would leverage with compassion, humility, and graciousness. A truth that will interrupt your life, but do it in such a way that you want to lean in for more truth. Like as often as Jesus spoke hard things and as often as Jesus declared uh, behavior to be wrong and, and told people what was right, do you notice how often they kept coming back? Because it was how he presented that very truth that made it desirable for people to follow it. Some of the phrases you'll hear, I wrote a bunch of these down. Some of the phrases you'll hear from somebody who's walking in humility and phrases you won't hear from somebody who's not walking in humility with their wisdom will probably sound a little bit like this. And maybe this will be good for you to incorporate some of this in your language. I know this is something I'm, I'm continually working on myself. The humility to say, I don't know. Let me get back to you. Right? Like that requires a secure individual who's not looking for self-promotion or people to think they're great or better bitter envy. It requires somebody to go, you know what? I actually don't have an answer for that one. Let me, let me go find that out. I would like to learn more about this before I speak on the matter. Closely tied with that is I would like to hear more of your viewpoint before I share mine. Now, you know how radically these two would change the culture in which we speak? how radically they would change our relationships and even conflicts if we paused and said, you know what? I, I don't know enough about this political issue to speak. I haven't read all sides. I, I should probably go do some homework and figure out all sides of the conversation before I insert my opinion. You know, I, I don't know both sides of the story to your marriage. And before I tell you uh, what you should do, I should probably gather some more information from all parties involved before I execute my opinion on this. Now, after doing that, I could come back with some great insight that I ought to share, but to do it prematurely would be to do a disservice to wisdom. I would like to hear more of your viewpoint. Another requires humility and teachability, which are not a strong suit for the American culture. To go, man, I think I can learn something from you. And that's really hard to do if you think you're the smartest person in the room on the subject matter. But to sit and go, I, I could probably learn something from you. Let me hear more. I have some thoughts. I want to hear yours first. Let's keep going. I might be, slash, I was wrong. Now, it, that doesn't feel wise to say you were wrong because a wise, smart person isn't ever wrong, but it is actually incredible wisdom to realize that we don't know it all. And it's okay. I was wrong. I held the wrong opinion on that, and now I have adjusted uh, we, we don't often have a lot of grace for somebody that admits being wrong on something they held 10 years ago and have adjusted. We, we should have a ton of grace for that. That shows incredible wisdom. I wouldn't know. You would know better, right? This uh, Philippians 2, that I would defer to others is more significant than myself. If somebody's a subject matter, let them be the subject matter expert. I wouldn't know. You would know. Let me learn from you. And then this one seems counterintuitive, but I did that well. See, this is the difference between humility and what uh, my wife has coined and maybe other people. She's the first person I heard it from, from humble attitude, falsely humble, right? Pretend humble, excuse me. 
Yeah, you know, I just, I'm just not that smart. I'm just like, oh, but you want to know what I want to, you want to know what I have to say? Let me tell you everything, right? It's, no, no, no. I, I think I excel at that. I think God has wired me and gifted me to be really good at that. Not those four things, but this one, I feel like I have that. That's humility and wisdom to recognize that God has gifted you in those areas. And then perhaps the most important thing we could say to walk in wisdom is to say nothing at all. To just not have to comment to not have to reply. And man, can I tell you, the quick-witted nature God has given me makes this so hard. I need the Spirit's help all the time because I have a comeback for everything. You can ask this guy right here. He works with me. Everything. And I have to walk in such restraint and by the Holy Spirit, I, I do it less, I do it better now than I used to, but not perfectly. Listen to the fact what Proverbs says about this. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. You don't even have to be smart. You just get to look smart if we just stay humble and quiet, which might actually reveal a a much deeper level of wisdom than you realize because you say what we talked about earlier is, I don't know enough to speak into this, and if I open my mouth, it's going sideways fast. So just don't. So just don't go there. Verse 15, let's keep going in James chapter 3. It gets, it gets a lot worse. I'd like to tell you it gets better, but it gets worse before it gets better. Such wisdom, and he puts it in air quotes, mocking the wisdom of the world, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says this false wisdom, its, its origin is not where you want to be getting wisdom from. And in fact, the wrong kind of wisdom, as we're going to see it here, it comes from me and puts me first. This this wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It is self-originated. It comes uh, through my own desires, my own wants. And what is natural to all humans is that we put ourselves first. And so it'll make decisions and it'll give advice to ourselves and to other people to make sure that I am number one, that I am priority. Well, he says what that source is. And it's really dark. Let's go back to verse 15 there. He uses three words. That type of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Really strong words. And so I want to unpack them for you, what I think he's saying here. I wrote some thoughts down, so I want to read them to you. He said it's earthly. This is the idea that it is limited to the present, that it doesn't consider uh, making decisions based on there being an eternity, that we're only thinking about life in regards to the next 70 years or however many years, years we have left. It really has no place for God or the things of God. It relies on feelings, personal agendas, and the convenience of now. This is the type of advice. And so uh, how do you know if you're getting or giving this type of advice? Well, here's some things that it would sound like. Phrases like living for today because tomorrow isn't promised. This idea of getting everything out of life right now, it will often lead to decisions of living paycheck to paycheck. It will encourage you to live beyond your means. It will encourage you to get everything you can out of life right now because that's all there is. What it leads us to is short-sightedness. That we would make Decisions for short-term gain that ultimately give us long-term loss. Those are the type of, that's the type of advice it is. Here's the next one, unspiritual. It gives no thought to anything other than what is physical. It believes that I am the measure of all things. It has no place for spiritual truth. This person uses this type of wisdom, believes they are not accountable to anyone 
for what they do besides themselves. It's a type of advice that really says, I am the measure of all things. I don't care about any, um, anyone else's standards. So I'm going to make decisions based on what I think is best. It sounds like uh, decisions that will mock moral decisions or at least not give necessary weight or credence to morality. So it's, you're asking for advice and it's a tough a decision and you know one is moral and one is immoral and somebody says, whatever, who cares? Like, just do what feels right. That's the type of unspiritual advice. It doesn't give weight to those things. Love and care will be other, for others will be low on the list in this decision-making process because if you're not spiritual and you don't understand the love that which God has called us to love people, we will only love as long as it serves us. Right? So you'll hear this advice often in marriages of saying, well, if there's nothing in it for you, you might as well not be in it. That is a one-sided, unspiritual perspective of love that only loves as long as it is receiving. Well, that is not the love of the Spirit. The love of the Spirit is an unconditional love regardless of what it gets in return. begin to mock or minimize the commands of God for what is convenient and pleasurable in the moment. And then this really dark word, demonic. And it's as, as aggressive as he intends it to sound. It is the source, it sources Satan himself. It parades as wisdom, yet it brings destruction to those who follow. You consider Genesis chapter three, Satan told Eve that if you eat and do what God had forbidden her to do, that it will result in knowledge and being like God. It was deception. It was a seeking to self-promote, to be like God, and yet it never actually resulted in that. And, and in fact, it resulted in being cast away from God. The advice that this will sound like is to follow the desires of your heart. Do what feels right. Follow your appetites. Nobody can tell you, no, what is that? It is self-promotion in its most destructive form. Do what you want. God doesn't care about that. Really, He's fine, whatever. That's the type of advice, and ultimately, it will look out for number one. It will lead you to make decisions where you are the highest priority in your decision-making process, which will not lead us to the life we ultimately desire. And it is in stark contrast to the decisions Jesus has called us to make. And he thought it was bad, and he keeps going. Verse 16, for where you have envy, and selfish ambition, so where you have knowledge being leveraged for selfish gain, there you find disorder in every evil practice. This word disorder kind of gives this idea of instability. He says, where you find individuals making decisions for selfishness, you find an instability within their life and within relationships, right? Like when I'm selfish, my marriage is not better. When I'm selfish, my wife is not feeling more loved. When your kids are being selfish, their relationships with other kids are not better. Selfish decision-making creates chaos within our life. And that's what Paul, or James is saying here. He says, when we make these decisions, it does not lead us towards the life we want. And every evil practice gives this idea of just, it leads us to worthlessness, right? So it might be even practical. It might be pragmatic. It might be expedient to make that decision, but it amounts to nothing in the end. I don't think we want that life. So we have to strongly consider the filter in which we make our decisions through. Well then, in a much needed breath of fresh air, <laughs> James turns the corner and he says, but 
Now that's all the negative side uh, to worldly wisdom. Let's, let's look at some heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. He says there's so much negative that comes from wisdom of the world, yet here is the wisdom of God and it is beautiful. See, the right kind of wisdom comes from God and puts others first. That stands in contrast to what we said earlier. We're going to throw that up there. That the right kind of wisdom, I am not the origin of it. God is the origin of it. And if that is true, the decisions I make will not be me as number one. It will be God as number one, others as number two, and myself in third place. I get a bronze medal. And when I get the bronze medal, what I see in Scripture is that ultimately I win because my priorities are in order. And I begin to make decisions to leverage knowledge and information, not for my gain, but for the good of others. In fact, here's the, the definition I want to give you of wisdom. I encourage you to write this down. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge to help yourself and others navigate life in a God-honoring way. That I could use the things I know to help myself not get ahead, but to honor God, and then to help others get there. I know I use examples of, of personal training a lot, but just bear with me. Uh, I, I have, am a personal trainer and a nutrition coach, and I work with mobility, and so um, I know how we ought to eat. I know how we ought to move. I understand those things. And when this goes sideways and I live according to my flesh, it is very easy I'm just going to give you the full picture of my heart and you can see how gross it is and why I need Jesus. When it goes sideways according to the flesh, I can leverage that knowledge to make myself feel better than others who don't do that. I can leverage that knowledge to condemn people and make them feel dumb. I can leverage that knowledge to hurt people. Like I can, it's, I'm capable of it. I know it's terrifying. Or I can leverage and, and give that information in the same way to help you improve the quality of your life. I can help you live with less pain, right? And it all is a matter of the position of my heart. The knowledge has not changed. It is how I choose to give it. Do I give it so that you can live in a better way than you were before I came? Or just that I show you you're wrong. Do you feel that? So let's talk about that in terms of our spiritual life. We have the greatest truth that Jesus has come to change everything. I can live my life with that truth in a way that helps others want it more. Or I can be so offensive and aggressive with that same truth that nobody wants to come near me to hear the rest of the story. It is that we would walk in the humility and grace of our Savior in a way that people want to know more about what we have to say because it will lead them ultimately to the life that they long for and desire. And that I could do it with meekness and patience. I didn't say this in the first service, but I meant to. The patience of a wise person is agonizing. Right? Like somebody who's really, really wise, they clearly see it, and yet they haven't said anything yet. Why is that? Because they are wise enough to know that there is a time and a place for everything, which removes the let's fly off the handle because somebody had to say it, nobody else was. Just removes that from our playbook. Because wisdom is patient. It's not passive, it is patient. What it results in living this life in response to God's wisdom is what James says here in chapter 318. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest 
of righteousness. If we walk in this, what we will find is not the instability of selfish decision-making. What we will find is a life of peace. Why? Because we get to live with a clean conscience. We get to live with a, a pure heart. I, I skipped this, but I want to go back up to, uh, <clears throat> what verse was it here real quick? Um, verse 17, I skipped this, I want to go back to it. Verse 17, as we talk about what this result is here. As you consider this, what, what wisdom from heaven is, it is pure and peace-loving. Consider it submissive. I want to unpack those words for you as it helps us understand the importance of it and the implications in our lifestyle. I want to walk through. So first one here is pure. Wisdom from heaven, its intentions are not wrong or two-sided. It's not like making a decision to manipulate a situation to ultimately get what I want. Like it's, no, 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 that was, that was the decision I made and here were my intentions and that's all there was. There wasn't underlying motivations here. It's just pure. Then it is peace-loving. It delights in peace and promotes peace. It promotes harmony in relationships. It realizes that when God has given us the wisdom, he's given us, as Corinthians would say, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of putting things back together like broken relationships. So that is the heart, to leverage wisdom, not to destroy somebody, not to prove that you're right, to reconcile and bring peace and harmony in relationships. It is considerate, which means it is not combative or abrasive, it is reasonable and courteous. It is submissive, which means it is open to reason. It doesn't insist on its own way and its own rights. It's willing to admit that it's wrong. Full of mercy, that knowledge leads to compassion, not disdain. It's full of good fruit, which means it will result in a life that has changed. It is impartial, meaning it shows no favoritism, and it is sincere. It is without hypocrisy, and it's genuine. It doesn't put on a front. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. It sounds like a really high call, but that sounds like the type of wisdom that our Savior both exhibited, demonstrated, and then called us to. And not only called us to, but empowered us through his Spirit to live that life. This list uh, follows closely to the fruit of the Spirit, that we would walk in the wisdom of the Spirit, and what that means is we will walk in a life that looks like this. I want you to consider how Jesus talked about this. Matthew chapter 7, we, we looked at the section above this uh, the other week, or last week, talking about how not everybody who comes to him says, Lord, Lord, is actually a follower of Jesus, but their lifestyle We'll demonstrate that. Well, after that conversation, this is what he says in the next verse. He says, therefore, meaning as a result of recognizing that our faith is revealed in our lifestyle, he also echoes James and says, our life reveals that. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So when life hits, difficult relationships happen. When you are forced with the scalpel in your hand and life begins to reveal, he says, it will always reveal 
whether we are walking in the wisdom of God or whether we have been pretending. Whether we have been our own source, life will always reveal it. And so I want to bring us back to uh, the opening question I asked us of where are you going for wisdom, uh, direction, and help? And we evaluate that not by saying, we evaluate by observing our own life. What does my life reveal about what wisdom I live by? Not what do I want to be true. Not what do I claim to be true. What does my life reveal? Is my life one marked by bitter envy and jealousy and self-promotion and and, um, disorder? Or is it marked by purity, gentleness, meekness? What does it reveal? And then we adjust. One, by seeking God. God is the source of all wisdom. And man, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to advice for somebody and been like, that was the worst advice possible, but really convenient. And I really want to do it. And I seek God and go, oh, I don't want that one. That one's going to cost me more than I anticipated. And it's not convenient. And it requires me to walk in humility. Can I do that one? No, I can't. That one's really bad. I got to follow Jesus here. Great way to do this would be to read the book of Proverbs. Pick a Proverbs a day. There's 31 in there. And just begin to ask God that every area of your life that needs advice, that you would begin to find it in the word of God and you begin to find it in prayer. That you would seek him as the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe because I bet he probably has a solution for you. And then we seek wise people. And I don't just mean the smartest person in the room. I mean, evaluate their lifestyle and determine if their words match their lifestyle in a way that is making them look more like Jesus and less like themselves. I had the the joy of serving with a man named Scott while I was overseas. And Scott is one of the sharpest, smartest guys I've ever had the joy of serving with. Like, brilliant, brilliant mind. In the five years I served with him, I never once saw him dress somebody down with his words. I never once watched him be combative. In fact, I'd I'd watch him take questions from students that I know he had the answer to. You know what his response was all the time? It's a great question. Let me think on that a little bit and let me get back to you. Probably like three years in, I got a little annoyed with him and I was like, why don't you just answer the question? And he's like, because. 90% of those those questions are coming out of a position of accusation. If I can wait a day or two, that accusation disappears and I can have a more normal conversation with them. And I was like, oh. <laughs> but that's not as fun, right? Just walked in that wisdom to apply knowledge in a way to benefit other people. As we wrap up today's conversation, I want to point us to Jesus because nobody did this better than Jesus. Like Jesus was right a hundred times out of a hundred and he will always be right. And yet he never leveraged that rightness to harm people. He leveraged that rightness not to be right, though he was, he leveraged it to make us right with God. And as the world looked in on Jesus, and even as the world looks in on Jesus now, they don't understand it. They don't see how the creator of the universe came in meekness and gentleness and lowliness. And when he was being accused at the cross that he didn't defend himself, that when Pontius Pilate was accusing him that he didn't defend himself, why? Because he knew he didn't need to. His rightness wasn't determined by whether they believed it or not. He knew he was right. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And yet he did all of it in a way that made so many of us lean in and go, I want to know that truth. Because that truth changes everything. 
Listen to how Paul talked about this very thing in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. They're always on the search. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are, whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Let's pause right there. We have to see those two in connection to understand true wisdom. Christ, the power of God. Jesus embodied the same strength that spoke the universe into existence. That was his power. Yet he also had the wisdom to apply that same power to save our lives from sin. For the, verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Those that considered what Jesus did at the cross, weakness and foolishness, going and dying, was the greatest display of strength under control we've ever seen. Because God in his righteousness would have been justified to execute sin and stop it, and in doing so would have stopped life itself in us. He would have been right and justified. Yet he chose meekness and humility to save us. Jump up to verse 18 with me. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As we turn to communion this morning, I want you to consider the potential foolishness of the cross. Here was Jesus going to the cross to rescue us from our sin. And Jesus, like I said, the holder of all truth, it wasn't about correcting our thinking, it was about changing our hearts. Because he knew when our hearts were changed, our thinking would be changed. So in his last meal with the disciples, he took this bread, and the beautiful thing of this is the disciples had no idea what Jesus was doing. It wasn't until later that they actually picked up on what Jesus was doing. But he said, this is my body broken for you. If you're here today and you're not a follower of God, the word of God would encourage you to let this cup pass. And if you're here today and you're living in open, unrepentant sin, the word of God would encourage you to, to not partake today, to spend some time with Jesus reflecting and repenting. But he took this bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. What he meant was that this is me being humble and submissive to the father to rescue you. I will take your punishment so you don't have to. So do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. The same way he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant poured out for you. What he meant was you are made right by God through faith alone and it has washed you clean and it has given you access to the Holy Spirit, who is wisdom of God. He's given you access to right relationship with God. So do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. God, we thank you that your wisdom is far greater than we could ever understand, and it provided for us the necessary salvation. God, I thank you for communion as the reminder that you love us. Not only do you love us, you've provided a way to be in relationship with you. And through that relationship, we have access 
to wisdom. God, as we evaluate this question of where we're getting wisdom from and what type of wisdom we're giving, God, I pray that what would be true for all of us here is that we seek you on everything. That our lives would be marked not just by being really smart people, but by really being really wise, humble, kind, compassionate, considerate people. God, I pray that if there is anything in our hearts that is keeping us um, from walking in that, whether we're cynical or whether uh, we're jaded or whatever it might be, God, that you would wash it away from our hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name.